thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up for a Chat, about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Mara. And welcome to today's podcast. Today's going to be all about money, money, money. money. <laughs> I said we going to do that. In a rich man's world. <laughs> money, man. Oh, we said that. <laughs> We just wanted to hear you sing, Cindy. <laughs> we were trying to discuss whether we really should sing or not. And you know what? I think we're better speakers. <laughs> Karen can sing. No. Yeah. No, no, yeah. I can't. I want to sing. Doesn't mean I can. <laughs> Two very, very, very different <laughs> distinctions there. Yes. <laughs> so we want to talk about money, money, money. How do we make it? How do we lose it? What does it mean? What is it? What's, what's the deal with money? Do we have it? Do we not have it? Because I think money like food and love are kind of the three key drivers in life, really, aren't they? I mean, we do what we do to make money so that we can live in a house and buy our food and pay for our family and support ourselves and drive our cars and have a good time and go to the movies. We, we do everything that we do in order to make money, but... The saddest part about money is that money comes at the greatest cost of it all, I think, uh, to a large degree for a lot of people. It comes at the greatest cost of all in that while our husbands or our or we're out there making money, we're sacrificing the time. We're sacrificing the, the, uh, the time with our family and our loved ones when really what we're out there doing in terms of making money is to have more time with our loved ones. So really, is it all that it's cracked up to be yeah. isn't it and yeah. and we we have our money so that we can have fun but when we and i'm just kind of i'm kind of getting a bit of an epiphany as i'm talking about it but we go out and work so hard to make money but we spend so much time working hard that there's no time to do anything or we're so stressed well we're so stressed yeah, yeah. We, we we go out we go out to make it to have a good time so that we can do the things we want but then there's no time to do the things that we want because <laughs> we're working so hard we go out to work so hard to make money so that we can buy the foods and eat the foods that we want, yet we're so stressed and so busy we don't have time to actually make and prepare the foods that we want. Therefore, we go for more convenience. Mm. What are we thinking? Mm. Welcome mm. to welcome to my life. I don't know about you guys, but I mean, like, I'm just even thinking about Danny. Danny goes away to work all the time in order to support the family. But and to, and to give the family and to be with the family and to have the quality family, but he's not there. I know, and he'll often send a text or an email or or he'll ring and and we've just been to Taylor's dancing or we've just watched Jacob play in a grand final. These and, are things you can't get and back. These moments that and are... he goes flat because he's like you know. But then his whole thing, we you know, is a little bit different in the sense if you've got a goal or if you if you're working towards something, and that is we're working towards getting him home. So he knows that this is a time and a place that you just put your nose down, tail up, and you do the best that you can. Uh, we do have an exit strategy for that, and I think that's perhaps where money can become a problem when you don't have exit strategies or strategies at all in place as you to don't have to supply. You don't have an objective that you're working yeah, towards. Yeah, and then right? it can just feel like a mundane, everyday, continual, get up, go to work, go to home, you know, that beautiful cycle you talk about. So I think for us what gets us through 
is knowing that this is just another 18 months. 18 months is all we're going to do it for. So I think that kind of helps. But you're right, we do not get those times back, which is why I video and photograph everything mm. to, to at least, to, and we Skype. And he'll often be on our iPad at the dinner table while we're having dinner just to be a part of that. And that, that's the beauty of you know modern technology is he kind of still... But then we switch it off and he's in a room on his own and the three of us get on with our life and it's not easy. I wonder, you know... I've been questioning a lot lately, and I had this conversation with you, Cindy, uh, the other day, like, or even this morning, I can't remember now. <laughs> we talk every day. So we do. We <laughs> can't remember what we, when, when it was. <laughs> but uh, we have no idea when the end of our days arrives. But we spend our days... Acting like we have forever. Acting like we have, yeah. Mm. All in the name of earning money so that we can live the kind of life we really want to live, but we have no idea when that life is going to reach its end. So why not live that life today? And if we live that life today, does that mean then that we can't go out and make money? Silence is deafening. It's funny, I was was watching... Stop it! She's off her seat. (laughs) I just shoved Kim, and Kim is sitting on a football, so she <laughs> went rolling backwards. <laughs> but that's kind of, I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a question, isn't it? It is something when you that think we about ask them, often, yeah. though, because I do think that, you know, especially after losing Danny's sister so suddenly, it does make you really see our immortality very very clearly, or when you hear of an or accident. Or the fragility of life. Or you see an accident and you hear on the news two people lost their lives and they say it so flippantly and I know they have to, but I think of those families that are affected and how long they're going to be affected for the rest of their lives. So, yeah, I do ask myself that question sometimes. You know, is it all worth it? Is it all worth it? I mean, the reason why he goes away and travels so much to work so hard is that our kids stay in private school to give them the best options and the best things at all. And really he could be here doing something much less and we could live a less um, materialised focused world really if we really chose to so it's so that we can accumulate things actually um you've just brought up something that i was thinking as you were saying about private school you know um we took our family out of private school our three kids out of private school and put them in a bus and traveled around australia for two years so my wardrobe was the size of a computer probably your computer karen that was my hanging wardrobe, the size, you know, as far as width goes. So what's that, maybe half a metre of that? Not even half a metre. No, no, that wouldn't be half a metre no. there, sweet, no. No, it would probably be... About 40 centimetres. Yeah, about 40 centimetres. So that was my hanging wardrobe, and I had one pull-out covered for my clothes. See, now you go there, and now I'm in a whole other yeah, world of pain. exactly, I knew you were... <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I can be philosophical about money, but when it comes to wardrobes, I'm in a world of pain for you right now. Well, that's what I had. And see then the contradiction kids, of it all. Exactly. Contradiction. See your. I, I know that everybody in the audience can, can't hear this and who's listening to us, but we have these little baskets, and they're probably the size of I don't know a shoebox, two shoeboxes. Shoeboxes. Yeah. Well, my kids would have had half of that for each of their clothes. They had a shoebox each, but about just a bit longer than a shoebox. So there's the width of a shoebox, but a bit longer than a shoebox they had for their clothes. That's all. Um, we lived in a bus. We um, 
What about we lived on ve- Yeah, we had a shower. We had a shower in the in the bus. So we lived a very very basic sh- life. What about hairstylists? No, and straighteners have none of that. And I homeschooled my children. I homeschooled my children. We lived on very little. We didn't need a lot of money. For two years we did this and we had the most magnificent two years of life. Oh, I bet you did. Yeah. It was just... All jokes aside, I bet you did. Yeah, yeah. It, it really was. It was it's one of those... Quality time. Very quality time. I got to teach the children for two years, you know. Two years of their life I got to be their teacher. Howard was the tour master, you know. He would figure out where we would go, what we were doing, and then we'd sit down and we'd discuss it. We spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week together, all of us. We met amazing other families, but often we were by ourselves. I remember spending two or three weeks not seeing another human being because we had gone into areas that not many people went, saw lots of animals, crocodiles, things like that, but we never saw human beings, and it was it was a magical time. Amazing. It, it, it was, and a lot of people say this to me, I wish we'd done what you did, Cindy. And some people do it their whole lifetime. They may get on a yacht and take their kids away. And they do. They live very um, simply and there's not a lot of materialism. And I was reading Shani and Julius's um, new book. Did you read that? And what they call it? OOC? Overconsumption? Something about overconsumption. And, and really? They've got another one out? Yeah. Philosophy 2 it is. And he talks about OOC. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's called that. And it's where we we work to buy materialistic things that clutter our homes that we really don't care about, that we may even not know that it's there, without really having thought about what this life and this planet's all about. And and I don't think there's a problem with making money. That's not the issue. It's what we choose to do with our money especially if we don't make a lot of money and we choose to buy stuff that we don't need and then we have to go out and work more mm. because we've done that and then we don't spend time with our family yeah and and really you know nobody ever says as they die i wish i'd worked more no we've never heard much. that anybody's ever said that a bit like that one that you sent me karen that no woman has ever said i have enough shoes <laughs> Yeah, no, I understand that one. Yes, yes, no, I, yes. I see that. I, I see the truth in that. No, but no, but it's so true. When I was in the states just recently, it was a real wake up call for me. And I and I mean, no disrespect to the states, it just happens to be that's where I was, and I got the epiphany. Um, what I witnessed because I, I'd been traveling uh, through Europe with Matt for. Four weeks or six weeks, actually. In a suitcase. In a suitcase, two of us. With in, not much stuff. In a suitcase, yeah. Mm. And then when I went to the States, I took even less because I was home for two days and then I went off to San Francisco for, for um, ten days and I took even less. I just took – I did your tricks, Cindy. I just packed three of everything and I thought, I'm just going to wash. God. Three undies? Jeez, and I did only take three undies. Oh, heavens alive. I was busy every damn night. No rest. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> but what it actually, what the, the epiphany that I got was the overconsumption of humanity mm-hmm. in that, I mean, and I just look at myself as a classic example and, and everybody that, you know, that I come across, we overconsume food. Mm-hmm. We kill so many animals pointlessly for bags and shoes. Life is lost, hand over fist, for bags and shoes and 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 you know our trees and our and and nature is just 
absolutely prostituted so that we can consume. With then this packaging that all of that comes in. It it made me feel quite sick, actually. It really made me feel quite sick. And when I came home, I totally decluttered all of the house, decluttered the bathrooms. I got rid of six bags of clothes, shoes, the lot, you know, Mm. and... Um, I'll, I'll never buy another, and this is just me, I'll never buy another leather handbag, I'll never buy another pair of sho- leather shoes. So if I'm buying it, I'm buying to the cheap stuff, so, and I'm quite happy with that. Mm. But I just, even even that, you know, like I, it's just, it's such overconsumption. And I look back at my pay, and my sister used to say to me, because I used to earn 160 grand a year when wow. I was in Sydney, but every week I was living week to week. And she said to me, you might as well not even work. She said, you might as well not even work. She said, because everything you're earning, you're blowing it. So why? And she said, you've never got any money. So why are you working? Why not just live having no money? And I was working 16 hours a day to earn 160 grand a year. And she was bloody right. Mm. She was absolutely right. It's, it's, when I think about how much money gets spent, and I'm part of the equation, but how much money gets spent on needless stuff that is not about survival. It's just about excess. It's just about consumption. And the cost to our planet, the cost to our animals, and the cost to us in terms of the stress that we go through to earn that money, the amount of time we have to be away from our family and our loved ones, the amount of time that we are so disassociated because we're thinking about work or thinking about how we're going to create our next opportunity rather than being in the moment with the people that we care for most. At the end of the day, when we are lying on our deathbed, we're never going to say, I wish I'd work more. We're always going to say, I wish I spent more time with my mum, or I wish I spent more time with my partner, I wish I had more time with my children. I wish I had more time. It's experiences that I think in the end is probably more important than the materialism. Although, you know, having said that, living in a nice environment... You know, you think about people who live in Ethiopia, let's just say, yeah. um, who live on a sand desert in a, and they may be happy. I, you know, I don't know these people at all, but I'm just thinking their environment as opposed to where we live. We live on a beach. Um, we live on the sunny sunshine coast. We live in a land of plenty. We live where there's lots of rain, where there's lots of food. Um, we actually live because of, of our, of our, where we were born, of probably our financial, mm-hmm. um, what we have, we're, we're able to do this. We're able to live in this type of environment. I guess it is easy to sit here. <clears throat> it's very e- easy, easy for to us. sit here and say, mm. "What are we doing?" When really mm. we have everything, isn't yeah. it? And I think back to when I was nineteen and, and twenty, and what was important to me. Like once I'd stopped tramping around the world and doing things like that, and I wanted to settle, and I wanted to start. You were you know, nineteen, having... and you wanted to settle. No, I was probably about twenty. For when I got to university or finishing up university and I'm thinking it's time for me to have some things around me instead of yeah. a suitcase that I can live in and out of very easily. And I, I started to want things, you know, so that was the beginning of my wants and I, I want nice furniture and I want a nice bed and I want nice decorations and I, I want a new computer. Um, if computers were though, no, I didn't have a computer till the 90s, so I'm still in the 80s, so it wouldn't have been a computer, but I want, I wanted jewellery, you know, I had no jewellery, I had none of that stuff, so I, I look back then when you're just starting your life and you do have those wants, wants. they're not needs, yeah, yeah, they're actual wants, 
But I, I'm now, you know, in my 50s now, and I actually have my jewellery, my furniture, my computer, anything I'd ever want. I, I actually have. And I'm not extravagant. Mm. And I look back then and I think, well, I didn't, it's really not that important. You know, and the jewellery I have is the fact that my mother and sister loved jewellery mm. and they passed away and I got it all. So I actually have all the diamonds and all the gold that I'd ever want. Mm. And yet it really makes no difference to it doesn't, doesn't. my life. Yeah, it, it, just, it just doesn't. So um, I think it's at that period of your life as to you think you want it and then when you get it, it's not going to make you happy. So it's, it's not about, you know, how much you can gather around you. I think it's about the experiences and, you know, having a barbecue at our place mm. is just as good as going out for dinner and spending, you know, Kim and I went out for Father's Day with our, our boys and their ki- and the kids. And what was the cost of that? That was pretty... It was like, expensive, but I loved every minute of yeah, that. It was, but, I, but, but what I really it learned... It meal. was expensive. I knew it was going to be expensive, so therefore we'd made the choice, so therefore yeah. I was going to indulge and enjoy every moment. Yeah, yeah. But... I think uh, for me growing up, my mother never had any money. It wasn't like we had a lot of money or anything, but I still feel like I was never deprived. I don't feel like I grew up. Mm. I mean, the biggest thing when it hit me that we didn't have a lot of money is when we graduated, your equivalent of getting an OP, I got mine and I'd graduated with six subjects, which most people were doing five and I'd done six, but I was really upset that I'd only got one of them, which was accounting. Uh, it was, it was 53% and that was my lowest one and I was really upset that I only got 53% yet I'd passed everyone else around me was going but you passed but I was really upset that I only got 53% but my girlfriend ran oh no I got home from where I had been that day and my mother had bought me a sweatshirt as a gift so it would have cost her to get that sweatshirt and it was on my bed and congratulations and I was so wrapped that she'd bought me the sweatshirt I rang my girlfriend to tell her, and before I told her, she goes, oh, my God, you're not going to believe it, but my mum and dad have just bought me a car and we're going to the Gold Coast for a holiday. Oh. I just couldn't tell her. what I, I. It was in that moment I realised that we didn't have money. Mm. And it was quite a big shock, really, because we'd always been in a home and mum had always worked hard and I'd always had my netball shoes, which was a big thing for me and all that sort of thing, even though we didn't have a lot of support from my dad. But it was just, it was a very different way. Then when I got out there in the big wide world um, and, I re- and I was earning $115 a week and it was costing me $107 a week to live in a house oh, and to yeah. pay for the petrol in my car yeah. and it was tough and so I waitressed on top of my job just to get a bit of extra cash and the extra cash was so that I could go out on a Friday night with everybody and have a few drinks or whatever or to play in another team or to buy, I don't know, whatever it was. I did like clothes, but I was never a big label because I'd never understood the... Well, I could see the cost of them. I just could never get them. So well, it was interesting. Changed, isn't it? Just a... Well, it was interesting because then as I've gone through <laughs> and I realised how much I really appreciate nice things and really mm. love them, then I met Danny, who was earning amazing money at a young age, he too was raised in, I wouldn't say, it's not a poor home, don't get me wrong, we had everything we needed, but it wasn't a lavish, expensive, wealthy upbringing. So he saved $95,000 in his bank account for us when we got engaged to place a deposit on our first home, which was massive. It was massive. Massive. Back in those days. Yes. Yeah, that's a and, lot. and the house we brought was $205,000 oh and we put a $90,000 deposit so on the house. Was half of it was gone. already gone. Then we rented it for a couple more years to save more money yeah. and stayed at home. 
and then when before we moved into the house, we spent $100,000 on it, doing it up and making it a beautiful home. So the first home we moved into was a dream home. Unbelievable villa in Devonport, Auckland. Dream home. And I was completely blown away at where my life... And when I look back to what I'd written down at 15 years of age, what I wanted in my life and my diary was a beautiful home by the time I was 25, to be married at 25, my first baby at at 30 and marry a really hunky, sporty, rich man. That was everything I'd written. And it kind of had it all come true. It had all been manifested. And here I was in my first home at 25. We'd been married and the most beautiful home I could have ever dreamed. So then we went through life and we earned good money and people around, we helped people around us. You know, Danny got sponsored clothes and we'd give it to family and we'd, we shared it. We shared the wealth, which is what I really loved about having money was... Was it was a beautiful thing to do. So at Christmas, I would spoil family. I wouldn't just buy crap. I would buy them a dinner set, or a, we'd get them a knife and fork set because they couldn't, they didn't have one. Or how, how come we didn't know her then? I don't know, but I think we missed out. Didn't you get the baking soda um, underarm deodorant? No, I had to buy that myself. Actually, mm, mm, mm. whatever you do, <laughs> just saying, just saying. But what? Keep going, Kim. Keep going. And this is my thing around money. I thought that would never end. Yeah. You know, I really thought that we'd reach the pinnacle, that life would be sweet. I, you know what I also loved doing? Because we wrote checks in those, you know, back at that time. Every time I got the power bill in, I'd put a kiss kiss and a smiley face on it because I was so grateful to be able to pay the bill. I loved paying my bills because I could. And I loved making sure that we had. And I really, I, I probably in a way, even though I was incredibly grateful, probably also took it for granted, I would say. So then when you know I got the, the building houses and, and property development, I started hanging and noticing people in our circles were developers and they were making more money. And, and I think I got into a little bit, if I was really honest, got into a little bit of a, oh, well, if they can do that, I can do that. And so I started developing properties and we did really well. And our wealth just kept building. By the time we were in our 30s, we were pretty much mortgage-free. We probably had about a million dollars equity behind us, which may not sound a lot now, but, you know, but this oh, is 15 years ago. Now. I think it's... But that's yeah. where we were at. Yeah. It was amazing. We were in this bubble, and then Danny's career got cut short, and all of a sudden the money wasn't coming in anymore, but we'd built up enough to do that. But then I carried on developing, and this time, because I wanted to help someone, I got this person to help us develop this property instead of giving it to a building developer, and... I handed it all over. I just figured he'd do it the way I And this is one big lesson I've learned. No one looks after your money the way you do. Or respects it. Or respects really. it. Yeah. And he, long story short, and no, not all blame on this these people, but I had to take responsibility that I hadn't taken responsibility. So I certainly am not blaming just these people. But we ended up losing our house, long story short. We luckily had invested into another property and we had it there. So... But that was around the time when Danny's sister tragically took her life and it was like all these things in our life started going wrong. So we moved over here to get a bit of sunshine back into our lives and we brought the, then we sold that property over there. We bought the money over here and I thought, what are we going to do with it? It's nothing. We were really flat about the fact we had no money or what that felt like no money. Yet we still had quite a few hundred thousand dollars there sitting in a bank account. But we both felt really flat because we'd lost this home as well. So we'd gone way backwards in our opinion. So then on, on advice from a friend and, and listening to people, we then decided that the best thing to do would be put this money into a financial institution until we were ready to build. And we just placed a deposit on a section and we we're going to build ourselves back up again. Three months later, that financial institution collapsed and everything went. 
And I, I remember sitting there. I mean, I, I will definitely be honest. For three days, we were distraught. I, I was upset. Both of us couldn't believe it. Nothing we could do about it. I kind of, after three days, went, you know what? Uppercut. We've still got a beautiful marriage. We've got two healthy children. Like, what really matters here? We can always make money. And we're in our 30s. We can make money, but we can't reclaim what we have here. Danny took it a lot harder, though. And I think we've discussed on previous podcasts, this is when he went down into his depression and thought, what's it all for? Who gives a shit? Shite. Sorry. Um, who cares? Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, who cares? And he went down. And I think as a man, at the hunter-gatherer, the provider, someone who had built all this up and now all of a sudden had nothing and lost his sister and lost everything else, I can understand why he went into that spiral. So I kind of kept thinking, and what really hit me, and even though, and now we're renting, we don't have our own property, we don't have it, and that's probably a reason why Danny's prepared to work the way he is, and probably why I am, is not to not to get back into some sense of status, because mm-hmm. I think that was important to us back then, but it's just to give ourselves choices, mm-hmm. a few more choices and things like that. So I think, I, and I said to Danny, you know, let's look at this as a as a lesson, you know, and we have to because at the end of the day, it is what it is. We can't get the money back. We can't get the home back and we can't do these things. But one day we were down on our beautiful beach, standing near the two of us, arm in arm, looking out to the sea going, considering we have no money, that was our words, and that's not the truth of it because we were earning money, but compared to what we had, I stood there and I went, We've got a beautiful marriage. We've got two healthy children. We've got amazing friends. We've got an incredible lifestyle. We still travel because of his work. It still takes us to places. And we've got no money, yet we get played business class to go somewhere or we get something put up for we stay in a beautiful hotel because of his job or something happens. And I go, actually, we are living the dream. We are living well, the dream. You, you are. Like, I, I look at your life and I, I go... Yeah, there's nothing really missing. The only thing that's missing is equity. Yeah. That's all it is. You know, you, you drive beautiful cars, you, mm-hmm. you live in a beautiful home, you live on the beautiful Sunshine Coast, you do get to travel. And I think sometimes we have this thing that we must have equity. I, mm-hmm. Look, and I know in the end it will help, but we're paying super as well, remember. We're all doing super. And we get caught up in the um, Australian dream. As my, as my brother says to me, in Switzerland... They just want 5% on their money. They don't even care if they don't have their own home. They just want 5% on their savings. And they're happy. But we, we want 30%. You know, we want the best that we can get. We just don't have that conservatism um, in Australia. And sometimes I think, you know, the Australian dream might be to have your house, have your equity in your home, maybe have an investment property, a little bit of money in the stock market, earn a good living, have all the material things that we need. But in actual fact... I don't think that that is re- that that's what we think it is, but I don't think that's what it really is. So I look at you from the outside, Kim, and and the inside, and I, I just see, you know, perfection as far as a good life compared to, you know, what other people are like. And I, and I know you you have this um, wonderful thing that you say, and it always pulls me up, um, and that is, you know, when you think you don't have something think of the person who really doesn't have it like if you don't like your legs think of the person who's lost their legs um if you don't like your boobs think of the person who's had breast cancer and they've had their breasts taken off you know so um i think sometimes we keep looking ahead instead of realizing we need to live where we are now and are we happy right now and is everything going well and yeah it's funny i um 
From the outside, you see differently than what probably people mm-hmm. are thinking on the inside. I see the same with you, Karen. I see, you know, someone that is is living a, a pretty amazing life. Mm. I'd be, I'll, I'll be honest. I do think I live a very good life. Yeah. I feel very grateful and I feel very blessed. Um. In, 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 in there? Was there a no, there wasn't there? a but, but I'm, I was actually just like reflecting back on how I got to where I am now. But I think that I've always been, I've, when I was growing up with my family, we felt really privileged. Mm. You know, we never felt that we went without anything like you did, Kim. Like we never felt that we went without anything, but I don't think we actually did go without anything. I think we were, I think I did have a fairly privileged upbringing. Um, and then when I went out on my own as I was growing up, I always was very career-oriented. I have a very entrepreneurial family. My dad takes the lead, my sister follows, and, of course, my sister's my mentor, and my brother's the same. So for me, I've always been looking up Mm -hmm. and looking forward to what they're achieving, and then that kind of lays the groundwork for me to follow. So I've always been very career-oriented and very independent. But, you know, even that comes with the price because 16 hours of my day, since I can remember when I first started working, I've always been a a 16-hour-a-day worker. Um, And now that I'm 43 and I'm doing a lot of travelling and, you know, away a lot, it's really giving me perspective on what I've sacrificed in all of those years. I mean, I wouldn't change any of it. Obviously, I can't because it's, it's, it's a reality and it is what it is. And Matt and I live an incredibly uh, wonderful life. We come and go as we please. We have beautiful cars. We have anything and everything that we want. We don't want for anything ever. So I do feel like I'm incredibly blessed with what we've created but it's interesting, you know, and it's easy to sit on this side of it, having had everything, to say, what have I missed out on? What was the alternative? Um, but I think I'm at a phase in my life now, and, I've, and I wonder if it doesn't come in phases, that I'm in a phase in my life now where, you know what, I look at everything. I look at all the bits and pieces, all the furniture. I look at all the bits and pieces. None of it's really got any meaning for me other than do I spend time with my animals? Do I spend time with my family? Do I spend time with Matt? And the answer is no, because I'm away all the time. And that's just, and I wonder if that kind of realization comes in phases, because when you're in your 20s, you're accumulating. Mm. And when you're in your 30s, you're establishing, you know, you're establishing your homes, you're establishing your businesses, you're establishing yourself in your role, you're establishing your family. You know, in your 40s, I'm wondering if you're not reflecting. And in your 50s, whether you're downsizing. And in your 70s, you're, you know, your 60s and 70s, you're, you're um, you know, still downsizing. And, and and then are we ever happy? You know, like, oh, this is was, the thing. You know, this was the, the, the 20s decade or the 30s decade or so 40s, like, is there ever going to be found the happiness? Well, I this know is all that. I had a very, very wealthy friend who had, who retired at 50. That was his goal, to retire at 50. He was an importer of technology stuff, and he'd done very, very well. Worked his butt off to get there. Um, lost a wife in the process, as in marriage broke up. Um, didn't have children. But I said to him one day, how much is enough? When do you know enough is enough? Is it 1 million? Is it 5 million? Is it 20 million? Like, what is enough? And he goes, it's enough when you don't have to think about it anymore. 
And he goes, so that depends, I guess, on your lifestyle. If you're going to be someone who's a spendthrift, it may never be enough. But when you get to where I'm at, and I know that I can live off the interest on my on the money I've earned and play golf around the world, that's plenty enough for me. I don't need to work anymore. That's why I retired at 50. I could have kept going. And that was an interesting concept mm-hmm. to me. That, And then there's other people who, and I think about myself when I get to enough, whatever that looks like, will I want to ever stop working? Well, to be honest with you girls, I don't see what I do as work. Mm-hmm. I, I actually love what I do. Mm-hmm. And, and so for me, when you say, do we spend our time working our butts off to get what we need in order to have the holiday that we then don't end up having because either we don't have the family anymore or we've created this whole ripple effect, for me... And Danny, probably both of us, our work has been very family orientated. So even though he is very much involved in cricket, it takes us as a family to places. You know, we go to India regularly because of cricket. We would never have done that without his work. Um, and Dubai. And Dubai and mm. the UK. We've lived in the UK. We've travelled to the West Indies. Like, seriously, I sit there and I go, well, we don't have a house, but look what we do. Mm-hmm. And I look at you, Cindy, and I think, you guys don't spend a lot of money on material things. It's not really important to you. But what you do spend money on, and again, not high, high amounts, but what you really, you and Howie value is holidays, trips, adventures, um, things to do with experiences. Experiences is what I value highly. Yeah. And, and yeah, because from experience you become educated and I like to involve my family as well. I think where you've been incredibly blessed and maybe this isn't a woe is me, but I did, I would like to say this because I was never brought up in a home with people that understood money. My mum was just survivor. You know, you, you earn enough to pay the bills and she had me at 17. So how she would have known this, you know, I do not hold her accountable at all. She did the best she could. But she never had any advice on how to save money, invest money or do money. Mm. Danny's mum, her whole philosophy of growing up was pay off your mortgage, pay off your mortgage, pay off your mortgage. You know, there wasn't about investing. In fact, there was a massive risk to go and use equity in your home to go and buy another property. So we were. he had a very conservative and my mum was very, I guess, just uneducated as far as money was concerned. So, and I, as a consequence, was never interested in money at school. And it's only thanks to my business and my last business partner, and I will absolutely give her kudos for this, was actually showing me systemization of money and understanding the power of money and how it can earn you more, that I've actually found myself really accountable and responsible with money again, Mm -hmm. really, really truly accountable with it now. So everything I do spend, I'm looking at it, and I'm even looking at things in the past, Karen, I would have gone out and gone, look at that nice lampshade. (laughs) Well, the kid's lampshade is a bit old. They could do with replacing. And now I'm looking at going, the lampshade works. Like, really? (laughs) Until it stops working, do I really need another kettle? Do I really need another toaster? Like, everything's working. It might look Mm. shabby, but I can put that in the cupboard, but it's still working. Mm. And I'm actually getting a real joy out of saving and seeing my bank account going up. So I, I feel like I've done a big circle, uneducated, but never feeling like I've gone without then had this amazing, what I would have considered, what I consider a wealthy lifestyle, then losing everything, to, to, but not my marriage and my family and my life, and realising that that's actually what matters. And maybe the universe transpired, maybe, and I look at it as an amazing learning, the whole thing, that that's what really matters, to now building up my wealth and equity again to the point where my husband can come home and work in the business like you guys mm. do. And and actually, I've, I have a real value around what money is. And Danny and I have always said... We had a friend that always said, well, money is not everything, Kim, but it certainly makes your misery worthwhile. (laughs) 
um, which I love. But but I what I really value now is the fact that, and I said this to Taylor the other day, I, I work hard so that, well, I do what I do so that I can help you live your dream so that you're going to help carry your children to live their dream. You want to dance for Australian ballet. It's costing me at the moment 10 grand a year just for you to dance. It's costing me money for Jacob for his education and what he wants to do. But at the same time, I look at it as an investment. So I'm not... My attitude around money has changed quite significantly. Um, And I think really and most potently, there was a book that I read in the 90s called Status Anxiety by Alan de Botton. Have you read it? No. Oh, it's an amazing book. Um, Status Anxiety. If you do have an issue around whether you should have a Lexus car as opposed to a Honda Civic or like if you've got all these things around what is, it is, he reckons it's all based very much around the status anxiety that we have around trying to prove to everybody else what we all have and we think that what people see means means something um and people are surprised when they come to my home for instance and they go oh "Oh, no I don't we rent here and for a while there I used to think oh my god we rent oh my gosh we don't own our own home we don't even have enough money to buy our own home like oh my gosh what do people think of me and yet most people think that I do own that home or they do think they don't think anything of it actually Mm -hmm. yeah I was gonna say it's not even something that people would think about no I think that that anxiety is what goes on for us more than what it does go on outside it's exactly what Alan talks about in that book Mm -hmm. and it's a wonderful book and it's just reminded me you know now that I have a different value around money again now I'm going to read it again because I'd like to read it now with those eyes Mm. on yeah, I, I think when you can afford something, you kind of go, well, it's not really what I want anyway. You know, like if you can afford a really nice car and then you kind of go, but I don't want to spend my money on that. I want to, but maybe if you can't afford it, then you do it. I don't, and it's all it about is. this status anxiety thing. We all want what we think we can't have, yeah. isn't it? And they, you know, they always say, um, I hear this a lot, that, we spend to what we make. Oh yeah, you know, like if, if you were making probably two hundred thousand a year, you probably would have spent, spent every that. Cent. And people have got to realize, realize that in order to probably get ahead, is that you can't spend to your to mm. what you make. It's mm. it's really important to invest. And one of the things that I was always taught was to you know put a certain percentage away of your money every single payday. Pay yourself first. Yeah then do everything else and it's it's like you don't even have that money you just put it away and I taught my kids this really early and I look at them you know they're in their early 20s my last one's 19 and I look at what they have saved they have huge deposits for their homes oh wow because that's what they've been taught even my um middle daughter who is at university you know she is saving. I, I'm just blown away how she's saving at university. She's at university. She um, works on weekends, and yet she's very thrifty. She's learnt the art of thriftiness. It was quite funny. She said her and her girlfriend um, have gone to Perth together. They've gone. They've lived together. And I remember when we were packing their cars to send their cars to Perth from you know from the east coast of Australia. Casey had her car. Maybe half of it was full. Yet. Grace, her car was full plus more stuff in Casey's. And Casey oh. said, We they've just moved, and of course, Grace has gotten a whole bunch of stuff, and Casey has gotten rid of stuff. Casey is, if I can't put it in my car, then I don't want to live with it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the way she says it. Whereas they had to get a truck apparently to move oh, everything. Wow. 
So it just depends on, you know, how the child's been brought up because we've always been a bit thrifty. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and, I, and I don't know where my youngest daughter has got it, but she's into Vogue and name brands and T- Casey wouldn't know anything about a name brand, whereas K- Tanya knows everything. I think she got that from you, Auntie Kim. Well, I've only just learned it and I learned that from Kaz. So yes. Yeah. Look at Kaz. <laughs> Happy to confess. Happy to confess. It's a I am the brat. I am the brat. Yeah, but you, I love what you've taught. And, I, and as a parent, I'm trying to work out how do I teach my without the education and understanding. Maybe I've had to go through what we've gone through in order to teach my children that because Taylor's very much the same. I'll say, do we need this? And she goes, and she's got a, her dance bag, for instance, at the moment, is tatty. Things are falling out of it. And I keep looking at it going, honey, it's, it's really, and she goes, Mum, there's still stuff in it. We don't need to spend the money on it. But I do need a pair of point shoes, she said. So she's actually learning yeah, yeah. the art of what's more important mm. and what we can afford to spend money on. And, mm. and she's my online shopping queen, man. If she can get it cheaper online, yeah. like I think, wow, where's Jacob? Mum, can I have that? But he's, <laughs> he just wants everything. Um, but he's learning that saving. Like he came out to me the other day, he stashed $112 in his, in his drawer from birthday monies and things like that. And I said, what are you going to do with it? And, fine, and he said to me last night, Mum, when are we banking this? So it just, I think it just takes a while for us to understand, yeah. and they, they've seen and they see how much we work to do what we can for them. And but I, I would like, or I hope that they see that the work doesn't override their importance or the value mm. of us as a family or what we do together. And it's those experiences together that you can never get back. Well, I read in the paper over the weekend that um, the Packers have separated. Hey? Yeah, yeah. Jamie, Jamie Packer, is that his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jamie Packer and his wife have separated. She's just had her third child. Oh my! And um, I just kind of and and he in the in the article it was in the Financial Review and in the article it was basically saying that um, that he uh, um, wanted to pursue his interests in business more. But he's going to be the I look and they're, apparently they're still friends and everything like that. And of course this is news, but I, I kind of go. Jeez, you got all the money in the world and you can't get your relationship together. Wow. It's not about money that, that no. does that. And I, I'm sure it, at the end of his life, he's, I don't know, I might be just making this up, but I'm sure he's going to miss out on those three children growing, especially if he is, and maybe it's not as important to men as it is to women. I, I don't know. I mm. often see men, but I see women nick off too, but I often see men go away. I was, I was listening, I was talking to a girlfriend over the weekend and and she said to me that her husband had her, her husband had a marriage before her, and he had three children, and then they had a child. So he has four girls that he hasn't seen in like fifteen years. Wow, fifteen years! Oh, like I can't imagine not seeing my children or touching base with my children every day. Mm. But his was, you know, he wanted to be financially more secure and. But see, this is a question, isn't it? I mean, I, there was a saying that I heard a long time ago, if you don't value money, how can you expect the universe to give you more? And I thought that was really, it was very poignant at the time that I heard it. But I think the same is true for everything. If we don't value relationships, how can we expect to have good ones? If we don't value time, how can we expect to have it? And if we don't value opportunity, how can we expect to get them? Because we don't even recognise when they're present, you know, we don't recognise when they're there. But I think instinctively there is a difference between men and women and the way that we're wired in that men are wired to be the provider and it doesn't matter which way we slice it. As much as women, we try to function in a masculine world, 
men are wired to be the providers so that's their natural instinct but i think we've lost it we've we've lost our ability to create balance and what that really looks like because of this insatiable need for reward this insatiable need for status this insatiable need for gratification this insatiable need for materialism Mm. I think that, that we've, we've, we've created these insatiable needs that then throw everything off balance. Um, and money's part of it. Money's part of it. We are always in search of more than what we need. We can never have enough. Like enough is not enough. But when can enough be enough? Like your question, when is enough enough? But we're always wanting more than what we need so that we never need it, if that makes sense. Mm. I always want to have more than what I need, therefore I will never be in need. But if more than what we need or or having what we need is all we need, (laughs) isn't that enough? (laughs) Can I ask you, I mean, you're an accountant. You've got an accounting background. (laughs) Don't tell anybody. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. A dangerous one, might I say. (laughs) Yes. And then we know there's accountants and accountants. Mm. I, I would love to spend the last part of this podcast because I look up to you both. I want to be both of you when I grow up. <laughs> um, seriously, just around money, I, I, you know, you really have taught me a lot, both of you, um, because I must admit when we lost all our money, I lost a lot of faith and, mm. and, um, and belief in myself that I could do, that we could do it again. And I had a really – it's taken me a lot of work on myself to really believe that I'm valuable and I'm worth it and that I value money in the same way. Mm. I'd love you both to give your advice to those of us that are parents and also those of us that are working people. What are, what would you both say are the most important critical factors to think about, either from a budgeting point of view or a spending point of view or a savings point of view or a future point of view? What would be some steps or strategies or things that you'd both recommend in order to create the life that we all think we need around money, which I would imagine is doing that, having enough to do what we need to do? I think, do you mind if I go first? Yeah, go first. I think for me, the distinction for me when, um, because when I started the business, I really didn't have anything. I had $9 and I had, I was on the bones of my freckle for probably four years of the six years that I've been in the business. And what I realized was that my problem was always that I was in pursuit of trying to make money, trying to make money, trying to make money. And of course and I get money equals confidence. You know, I really understand that that's how we've set ourselves up in society. But what I realized was that I was in constant pursuit of money and it wasn't working. So I had to go in constant pursuit of something else that I valued more highly than what I valued money. Because I always used to say, I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it to make a difference. I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it to make a difference. So because that was my view, was that that I wasn't in it for the money, I was in it to make a difference. Yeah, I made a massive difference, but I didn't make any money. So I didn't place any value on money either. So I was placing all my value on making a difference, but I forgot that money is an energy and money is something that we create, just like opportunity is something that we create and we participate Mm -hmm. in, and just like an amazing life is something that we create and we participate in. So I think that for a person to understand that money requires our valuing it and respecting it and caring for it and treasuring it and not making it evil and not making it wrong and not making it something that makes us um, anything other than what we are, I think it's important because I think money's been branded as the root of all evil for a long time. 
But I don't think that money is the evil. I think what the person could potentially become is where the evil lies because the person loses themselves in that status that you were talking about. That's where it goes awry. That's where we get lost in it. But money itself is not. Money is a part of life like life is a part of life. So I think if we can value it and we can treasure it like we treasure everything, um, then I think that's, that's been the biggest learning for me because when I started to value money and care for it and, and treat it like I treat creating everything else in my life, the floodgates have opened in a way that I never expected. I never even expected it. And now like I'm at a stage where I'm thinking, geez, how am I going to maintain this? <laughs> and it's yeah, true, yeah, you know, yeah. you're never happy because I think, but when I didn't have it, it was like, how can I get it? Now that I've got it, I'm like, how can I keep it? And, <laughs> do you know, and, and how am I going to pay my taxes? Because, oh my God, I'm going to pay taxes. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's just, a, it's a never ending cycle. But I think a person's got to be aware that it's, it's part of our ability to create, mm. to create magnificently. It's mm. beautiful. And, you know, I, I'm going to add on to that in the creation of it. It was when I started manifesting, and we did that manifesting uh, one quite a few weeks ago. It was when I started manifesting that uh, it all just started to flow like you wouldn't believe. So you're right, it is a creation. Mm. And just how we create our lives or our health or our you know, homes, whatever it is, it's a creation. And you, you have to get out there and you have to fe- see it. A lot of people sabotage. They see it, they get it, and they lose it again. So it's about stopping that sabotaging process. So for me, it was manifesting not so much um, finances, but sabotaging the extent that my business could get to. How far could I reach? What can I do? How, how far can I go? That was that was how um, I felt uh, I wanted to do it. Then there is still the budgeting. Just because you're making money doesn't mean you can spend it. So I still live on a need and want type of thing. So, you know, I was looking at a new car and I could afford any car I want. But mine was the whole status anxiety thing. I went, do I want that car because it's status or do I want it because I like it? And I kept looking at all these beautiful cars and and I go... But it's just the same as mine. It gets me from A to B. Mm. My phone connects to my radio. You know, what more do I want? And it wasn't until I found this car, I ended up buying a, um, a Prius C, which was a very reasonably priced car. Don't spend a lot of petrol. You know, my and, and, but it lived in my lifestyle. Mm. It was my lifestyle. And I guess that's, you know, it was one thing. So I still budget. I still um, am very mindful of my needs and wants. You know, do I want a nice car or do I need a practical car, a car that does this? You know, so I, things like that. I also had to change my language. I had to change my thoughts and my language around, um, you know, paying bills and having anxiety about paying bills because I never had enough. I'd always mm-hmm. be shuffling money from here and there and going, I can't afford that and I can't do that. And, and I went, no more. Yeah. No more am I going to do that. I, I don't want that language as I have no money or I don't have enough money. I don't say it anymore. It's just not in my vocabulary because that was something that I, I learned in a book I read on money personality, mm-hmm. funny enough. And um, I guess I love what I do. Mm. So I'm actually not working. I'm actually 
having a fun time. Even, you know, we talked about this. It's like, I don't think I'll ever stop working because it's not work to me. It's so much fun and play. Look what we do. And even in that, you're creating. Yeah. And, and I am creating. Mm. And, and, um, and then the other thing is, is that our husband and wife together, um, combining their efforts together as Howard entering into the business, uh, and getting a business coach, you know, a coach. Mm. You know, we need coaches. Yeah. Athletes need coaches. We needed a business coach. You know, I paid for my university degree through my, you know, my business coach in business. Mm. It was the best thing we ever did. So I think changing the language, still sticking to a budget, even though you're making money, it's really important. Stay below your means. Put aside a percentage. But I want to tell you a story about a, a gentleman I've been listening to. His name's John Robbins, and he's the son of Baskin and Robbins. Ah. Uh, so he's worth a lot of money. He said he grew up in a home that had an ice cream cone for a swimming pool. <laughs> Hello. You know, the shape of a, you know, the, the ice cream cone, or the pool was the shape of the ice cream cone. And he was groomed to become the, you know, the, the person who ran Baskin and Robbins. And he said to his dad, as he was going through university and everything like that, he says, this is not what I want. And he met this girl at university and they chose that they wanted no money from his father and they chose a simple life where they went in and they became self... Um, uh, they lived in a, on a, a property where they were able to grow everything they needed. Self-sufficient. Self-sufficient, sorry, yeah. Everything was in there. And, of course, he's worth an absolute fortune now because he decided to live the simple life and now he's written books on the simple life. Oh, how wonderful. And he's, it's just, you know, it was, it was amazing listening to this guy and he had such, as I'm listening to him, I'm thinking he had such a beautiful heart. Mm. And he, even though he had lots of money available to him, he chose not to do it, not to take it on. He chose the life of the simplistic way. And, oh, beautiful. You know, I, I think that's amazing and, and I, I really value what he's saying. But I would imagine subconsciously he would have had huge comfort knowing what he had behind him. Yes, yes. Because mm. for for us, for instance, when we had lost everything, we had no dads, no mums, mm. no grandparents we could go and ask for help. There was nothing. So, and, and that's Agreed, an, that and another thing yeah. I want to ask you both, mm. you know, why is there such a negative connotation around wealth? Like, you're filthy rich. You're stinking rich. I know. It's amazing, isn't rich it? Rich bastard. Rich bitch. Like, mm. what, is, yeah, what, is, what is the negative connotation well, around that? I think because 92% of the world's income um, is possessed by 1% of the world's population. So 1% of the population is earning 92% of the income. So 99% of the population... Are not getting a whole great, are not getting a great deal of dollars. One percent of the population is earning ninety-two percent of our money. So, when you look at statistics like that, and then you also look at, um, you know, the degree of poverty and the degree of suffering that exists in the world, there's a huge imbalance. There's a huge imbalance. I don't know. I think, and and I think that there's a lot of. Um, there's a lot of suffering that goes on for people and those with the money and not doing anything to help and support and all of that, you know. So I think maybe that's probably where it comes from. There's there's a there's a jealousy, there's an envy there, there's a there's a discontent or or, or a, um, it's it's unbalanced. And and it might be that um, 
you know, like you hear about very wealthy people being quite mean people. Not, yeah. And that might, and not all, that's not true. Yeah. Um, but you actually On the hear movies about it's it. true. Yes, on the movies it's true. <laughs> on the movies it's true. And in books it's true. Yeah. <laughs> but you actually see that and, um, and especially like if we go back to Roman times where, you know, the, the emperors sat on the throne and then all the slaves did things for them. And maybe it goes back to those days. I, I don't know. But I think that more and more people, especially people who have got some money, are becoming a little bit more um, philanthropic, philanthropic. Philanthropic. Philanthropic, that's the word. Becoming a little bit more philanthropic. And then... There's the the notion of um, the good and the bad philanthropic. Mm. You know, you see people and you think they're great doing wonderful things, but they may not be. It's just their belief that they're doing the right thing. Mm. Um, but that's their belief. And then yeah. there'll be other people doing other things and it's, it's their belief and yet the two never, ever meet, yet they're two people that everyone thinks are doing great things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I look at Gates. I don't agree with what he's doing. Bill Gates? Yeah, I don't agree with his... What's he doing? Well, he wants to vaccinate every child in the world. Ah, right. And I don't, I don't know if that's, mm. that's right. I don't know if, if... You know, I understand that belief system and I understand that thing, but that really gets me. And yet I look at John Robbins, who probably not as wealthy as uh, Bill Gates, but his is about creating simplicity and teaching people about health. He's all about health mm, mm. and teaching people to find their own simplicity and their own health in their own backyard with their own veggie garden and their own way of, of living. And here's somebody that's um, want to making sure every African and maybe these people can't tolerate these vaccines. And, mm. and there are Africans that are moving across borders not to be vaccinated. So how can that be a good thing if somebody else doesn't want it? Mm, mm. But if people, look, you know, it's just just me lately just watching how people use their money. Um, look at the food companies. They're just so wealthy and yet they're destroying populations. Yet they're saying we're feeding hungry planet. Mm. You know, you won't be able to do it organically or self-sufficiently. You won't be able to do this. You, we, We're saving the planet. Um, and, and chemical drug companies who believe that they're saving people's lives. And, yes, they save people's lives, but they're also hurting a lot of people. Do you see what mm. money can be... It can bring you power, but it can be sometimes misguided power. And that's what's scary. And some people think I'm misguided. You know, I have people on Facebook that just think I'm so misguided in, in my beliefs on health. And that's fine. That's, that's their belief. And I'm, I like to say to them, well, whatever's working for you, you just keep doing it. Mm-hmm. But this is what works for me. Yeah. And for people who want to listen to me, um, then, you know, I'll guide them in the way that I've, I've lived. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I do. So, so to finish up, I know we're coming to a closing, but I, I want to ask you both, if there's someone listening to this and they are struggling to make ends meet and they are trying to do the best that they can or... You know, is there some things around budgeting or around saving or around um, spending that you both think is a really important... You know, I'm really interested in particularly from an accounting point of view and also from a experience point of view. What would you be... Like, okay, what have you said to your children? I think she asked us this question before and we kind of dodged you it did. a little bit. I think we did give answers. No, but you said, I wanted to hear, like... Yeah, I want to hear. I want more. Okay. No, so I 10%, want to hear 10% of your income 
pop it into a savings account and don't touch it. Nice. Um, it it if, must be for investment only. Yeah, absolutely. It's not for fun. It's not for play. For investment only. Okay. And if you're going to make any investments, make them educated. Never risk your money. This is just my view. Never risk your money by putting it in somebody else's hands um, because they're always going to have their own agenda and everybody thinks that they're doing the right thing just like we think we're doing the right thing. So much better to trust what I think rather than what somebody else thinks I should do with my money. Mm. So I always put the 10% in um, and when you've got a little bit more, pop a little bit more in. Like now I do now I do 20% into my own account and I give 20% to um, animal protection societies. And that just makes me feel quite virtuous and it makes me feel like what I'm doing is worthwhile. You know, one thing Demartini said that really got to me, and Dr. Demartini is a very wealthy man, he basically said when he first started out as a very poor man, he used to, um, if someone took him out for dinner and paid for him, he would have saved himself $40. He'd put it into his in, his savings account. If he got 20% off a vacuum cleaner, let's say, he, that he had to buy, he would put that 20% into a savings account. Mm. He always paid full, but that money would go into a savings account. So that's another that's way. Nice. Yeah, yeah that's I like cool. that way yeah, of doing cool. it when I heard him do that. But I think, you know, like we have our ideas of it. But I think what people need to do, and we're not, this is another thing, we're not educated about this in school. No, you know, really our not. life skills that are so important for us to get ahead, we're not even being taught in school. Mm. So, or we're not being taught the right way because I can say this to you. I mean, I did accounting right through school, loathed every part of it, did not enjoy economics because I didn't, it didn't resonate yeah, but with me. But it's not teaching you how to deal with this your is what money, I'm saying, yeah. right? Yeah. This is what I'm saying. So I, I was taught accounting and economics. Mm. It's just, it's it was only six weeks ago my business mentor showed me all my balance sheets for the last 12 years and he went or profit and loss statements, and he, and he was pulling it out. Now, I can't regurgitate exactly, but the fact that I followed him freaked me out because then he, then she, and this is what takes it down, and this is how we create a trial balance. And I just went, oh, my God, is that what a trial balance is? I had not mentioned, thought, or even heard of the word trial balance since fifth form accounting. And here it was, all of a sudden it made sense to me at 45 years of age, 30 years later. So for me, it's like, you're right, they do educate us in school around these, but it's, how do you make it relevant? I think it's I, like anything I ever think about, it's about education. It is about education. First of all, get educated. If you don't know how to handle money, then go find somebody that does know how to handle it. And that might be in a book or podcast. There's, you know, we're, we're part of the Wellness Couch podcast, but surely there's a money wellness out well, there. I've given a whole list of business podcasts to listen to, really oh, good ones. Okay. And I've just started downloading them, and they're really interesting. But don't forsake us for them. Oh, no, no, no. no, no, no it's no, it's no. over and above. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but I just feel education is so important. Get a book. You know, there was a lady um, in Toowoomba that wrote three best-selling books, you know, How I Paid My House Off in, mm. I don't know, five years. L- read the book. There's an, awesome, there's an awesome friend of mine. Her name is Michelle House. Oh, um, Michelle, yeah. Yeah, Michelle House. She's great in terms of being able to get your head around how to manage your own money inside mm. of your household and how to manage it on a day-to-day basis for people who don't know. Mm. And I think I think that's kind of education. It's like everything, though, isn't it? Mm. It's like our health. It's like our mindset. It's like everything. We've always got to be a work in progress. We've always got to be researching and educating ourselves so that we can make informed decisions. I think that's really cool. Yeah. That's I, really, really cool. I really appreciate what you have both said. You've both taught me heaps. And I think 
the value of money is probably, I think, the greatest thing I've also got from it. Not only valuing it, but being incredibly grateful. Ah, that's a real key, isn't Mm. it? Mm. So grateful that I can earn it and so grateful that I can spend it and so grateful that I can save it. So thank you. Even if it is only 10 bucks. (laughs) I do. Mm. We have a money tin too. We have a little thing every year. Every time there's change or anything, as a family, it all goes into the big Mm. $50 tin and at the end, it's our Christmas money. Yeah. Or sometimes a $50 note goes in there if I happen to have saved money on something. We'll both go, well, let's put that in the tin. And Mm. at Christmas time, sometimes it's a $500 bonus. That's really cool. Yeah, none of us actually were expecting, and we don't know, and we all get a buzz on Christmas Eve is the day that we open it, and we look at how much we've all put into the tin. Matt and I do that. Mm. We've got a big $50 tin, Mm. and we put money in it, and every time we're going to have a holiday, and it's like it's a a once-a-year open, so we do it before before our holiday. Uh, and when we went to Europe, yeah. we had 500 and something bucks yeah, in there. Extra, oh. yeah. Or oh, how it has a sock. Oh, does it? Can't even lift the bloody sock. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a sock anymore, it's a stocking. Oh, my God. It's, I just, I go, why don't you go and put, find out how much is in there? And it just gets heavier and heavier and you're like, that damn thing. Yeah. And it's one of those woolen socks, you know, so it's oh. so thick. It's quite fun, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, so fun. it's fun. We all have our making, socks. Making Save money. Yeah, Save money fun is so important. Yes. So hopefully you've enjoyed this podcast. I've kind of lost track of where we even went with it. It was all about value and money and making it and stuff. So if you guys have got any comments about what you've specifically done to make money and value it and keep it and 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 and, and create an opportunity out of it, we really want to hear what you've got to say. It's time for us to really start getting all this information out to everybody. So join us on our Facebook page at all the w's.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. Or you can also post on this page at the bottom of the podcast on the wellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. Join us here next week on Up for a Chat and be part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. Cha-ching! Hi, Brett Hill from That Paleo Show and The Wellness Guys here. Well, the Facebook buzz after the Wellness Summit has just been unbelievable. Deborah said the summit was inspiring and empowering. Jen Fellows said she learnt so much amazing information that she thought her brain was going to explode. Well, hold on to your hat, because if you miss the summit, guess what? We recorded the entire lot so that you can have the summit in your living room forever. So to order the Wellness Summit 10 DVD home study program for just 197 bucks, simply go to www.thewellnesscouch.com and click on Shop. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.